During the shelter-in-place portion of this pandemic, I spent a lot of time with people on Zoom and on walks and in our patio who were anxious about the future. It made me think a lot about the hope we have as followers of Jesus and made me wonder and ponder how we can best share this hope with those who don't know Jesus. I believe our best opportunity to do this in these post-modern, post-Christian times is to share our own stories and live visible Christian lives with our friends, family, colleagues, and neighbors. What's your story? What's your life been like? What do you care about and worry about and rejoice in? Has God shown up in your story? Where and when? Have you changed over time because of God's work in your life? Whoever you are, your story is just that, your story. It's unique to you. It's not like anybody else's. And your story is shaped by a bigger story that dictates your values, your sense of truth, and your understanding of why things are the way they are and how they should be. Do you know what your bigger story is? When I was 16, my bigger story changed. I'd had a modernist framework which celebrated humanity as the greatest power on earth as my frame of reference. People were the top of the food chain, masters of our fates, able to rationally improve life over time. And my expectation was that if we destroyed our planet in the process, we would relocate to another one or find a solution. But for the individual in this story, life was only organic and would end forever with death. My role then was to create a life I would enjoy here on earth and attain achievements that my family and the world would admire. But thanks be to God, my frame of reference and outlook radically changed when I embraced the story of Jesus. Then I realized there really is an omnipotent God who welcomes me home into his family and loves me as an eternal parent and wise counselor. I began to learn who I am in light of Jesus' story through reading scripture. I met Jesus, who was servant to the poor and oppressed, the teacher of compassion and forgiveness, who stood against legalism and closed-mindedness, was the suffering servant who died for me on the cross, conquered death by his resurrection, ascended in power, and will return in glory to reign at the end of the age. This story of Jesus has become my meta-narrative, or bigger story, and it compels me to share the hope I found in Jesus with a hopeless world. In the New Testament letter known as 1 Peter, the author urges us to testify, to bear witness to this confident hope we have in the midst of a culture which neither acknowledges God's story as the grand story, nor has hope for a future beyond death. Peter says this hope will pique the interest of non-believers if God's love, grace, and righteousness are lived out in our lifestyles and spoken about from our lips. We should always be ready, he says, to talk about our stories in the greater context of Jesus' story to anyone who asks us the reason for our hope in this broken world. Let's listen now to this morning's scripture reading to find out more. As Pat Cunio reads, Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. Finally, 
all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. This is the word of the Lord. Most likely written by Peter the Apostle or his disciples, this letter was addressed to churches in what's now modern Turkey. These Christians were living in a Greco-Roman culture and many of their Judeo-Christian beliefs in that place and time were countercultural. They were seen as strange and problematic in their communities. They didn't fit in, sometimes even in their own households. The world to which Peter wrote was very different from our time. But the conditions are somewhat similar to our situation as Christians today, because then as now, there was antagonism toward Christianity. The prevailing Greco-Roman culture was pantheistic and resistant to belief in one God. To claim there was only one God and that he had conquered death through resurrection and that we also could know him and rise with him after our deaths wasn't easily received. Well, today, many people are offended by the idea that Jesus is the only way to God, that each person can't just choose their pathway to salvation or enlightenment. Postmodern thought, the prevalent philosophy of our time, rejects universal and objective truth for individual and subjective truth, which can vary from person to person. So you have people who believe your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. This makes it tough to convince people about a historically-based, objective, unique Savior. N.T. Wright, the British Anglican theologian, writes in his commentary on 1 Peter, In Europe and North America, it used to be taken for granted that we lived in a Christian country. It was assumed everyone was more or less Christian. But now, in the 21st century, that's been swept away, and anyone who really is Christian may well stand out. In politics, art, the media, and journalism, anyone known as a Christian may attract scorn, criticism, or discrimination. It's not easy for Western Christians to tread the fine line between sinking without trace into the surrounding culture, on the one hand, and adopting a standoffish, holier-than-thou, we're right, you're wrong approach, on the other. 
But Peter's calling us, as he called those Christians in Turkey long ago, to life on this fine line, to live above reproach and to always have an answer for the hope that's in us. This word for hope is el peace in the Koine Greek of the New Testament, and it means something different than we might think. The way we use the word hope in English often means a wish accompanied by some doubt. For instance, if I say, I hope it will rain tomorrow, I'm not expressing any assurance that it will, especially this summer. And sometimes in English, hope is followed by the word so, as in the answer some people give when asked if they think they'll go to heaven when they die. I hope so. This conveys the possibility that the outcome desired may not occur, but it's only a wish. But our Christian hope is different. It's an assured expectation for which we wait with joy and full confidence, proven by Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. There's literally no doubt about it. So what can we do in this postmodern, post-Christian, and even anti-Christian environment to share our hope in Jesus in a way that will be received. We can befriend people and share our lives and stories with them. We can get to know neighbors and colleagues and invite them to know us better. We can share the gospel story by sharing its impact on our lives in words and deeds, just as Peter recommended in his epistle. And we can also focus, as he said, on seeking peace, turning the other cheek when we're maligned or insulted, and repay evil with blessing, which requires the Holy Spirit's power and leading and lots of practice. For this to work, several things must happen. First, we must really know the grand story we're living by, the story of Jesus. If we do belong to him, this story has to inform and transform every part of our lives. James Brian Smith is author of the Apprenticeship Series, Taught in Our Church, which Ali Shoulders coordinates, and will be offered again this fall. Smith has written a wonderful chapter about sharing your story in his third book in this series, The Good and Beautiful Community. He writes, the gospel is a dominant story that has the power to transform a meta-narrative. The Christian meta-narrative has four basic parts to it, death, resurrection, ascension, and return. It's the story of Jesus, but also our story. First, we've died with Christ, just as he died on the cross for us. Our old way of life is over. We've died to the narratives that once controlled us, the ones that tell us might makes right and money gives you joy. Jesus invites us to die to ourselves so we might live in and through him. Second, we're raised from this death with Jesus into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.2 says, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. By the power of God, we have a new identity, one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Jesus' resurrection is also my resurrection. That's my new story, new life in Christ. Third, after Jesus died and rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. There he's now enthroned as the supreme Lord of all and reigns over the kingdom. His victory is established already, but it's often still hidden from us and from the world around us. 
Walter Brueggemann writes, we don't know exactly when and where this victory has been wrought. It's hidden in the weakness of neighbor love, in the foolishness of mercy, in the vulnerability of compassion, in the staggering alternatives of forgiveness and generosity, which permit new life to emerge in situations of despair and brutality. This is the reason for our hope, that Jesus defeated the things that oppress us, and when we live out his love by serving others, we participate in his victory over evil. Finally, the fourth part of the story is that Jesus will return, and when he does, we'll be revealed with him in glory. This hasn't yet occurred, but it's our hope and confident expectation. That's the four-part grand story of Jesus, all according to James Bryan Smith and Scripture. We are members of Christ and the kingdom of God because we've entered into his story and made it our own. And when we truly embrace our new identities in Christ, it leads to new lifestyle practices, such as Peter admonished in our scripture passage. So our second step is to increasingly understand who we are in Christ, the better to live in ways that reflect his heart and values. Can you think of some ways this has been true for you if you're a Christian? In my life, knowing I've been forgiven and unconditionally accepted by God has freed me to give up much of my stubborn pride. I apologize increasingly quickly when I give offense. I still struggle to speak with gentleness and respect, as those who know me will tell you. But knowing that Jesus loves others even more than I do, I do make efforts to reach out to those who are suffering or have specific needs. In the past six months, two of my closest friends each experienced the sudden unexpected loss of a loved one. One friend's husband of many years died suddenly of a heart attack in February. It was an incredible shock. We were able to pray together, share scripture and songs, and assure one another of our hope in Jesus, that death is not the end, but is a doorway to an eternity with God and with others who love him through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then, just a few weeks ago, another friend, who's very close to both of us, lost a preschool-age grandchild in a tragic accident. This friend and her husband also know Jesus, and they have faith that life does not end with death. But believing this with confidence didn't remove the shock, heartbreak, or the ongoing pain of loss and emptiness but it was and is still a powerful comfort. I had the responsibility to share the news with some of our friends about the little grandchild who died. They were naturally shocked and very shaken when they heard. And one of the first things one woman said to me was, you're a Christian, how can you explain something like this? How does it even make sense? I answered, we live in a broken world, and because of that, there's suffering and death. But I wish I had added, but we can have a sure hope that death is not the end. You see, I hadn't been preparing right then to share my hope in Jesus. So now I'm praying for another opportunity with this friend. Just this past week, my husband and I were taking our usual long morning walk when we happened to meet a couple we often see on our walk. They asked me how our friend whose husband had died was doing. This time I thought to say, 
She misses him every day, but she's confident she'll see him again. Her Christian faith is holding strong, and it's a great comfort. They looked at each other, not knowing what to say to such a comment. I'm praying for them to reflect on it more, and I look forward to seeing what God has in our next conversation. Do people know you're a Christian? If so, your life is preaching to them all the time. This can be intimidating, especially on the bad days when we complain and whine and act selfishly. Then we need to review who we are in Christ and that we have died to those old ways of performance, anxiety, judgmentalism, and pride. When they raise their heads again in our lives, we can set our minds and hearts on Jesus. Remembering our new self is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we stick to telling our story of what God is teaching us and doing in our lives, including how we've failed and been given another chance again and again, we're less likely to offend and more likely to influence and even intrigue others about Jesus. But how can we make sure we're aware of God's work in our lives so we have something to share? This is the work of prayer and reflection in regular devotional time with God. Christian friends in your small group, if you have one, can help you notice what God is doing in your life. Journaling can help you reflect. And reading scripture can continually inform your choices and behaviors. Writing a spiritual autobiography is a rich exercise which has helped me look back at my whole life, watching for where God made himself present and brought challenge, change, or comfort to deepen my faith. Besides sharing our own stories, it's critical that we listen carefully to the stories of our non-Christian friends. Joe Mashoff of Navigators wrote an easy-to-use template for using your story to tell others about Jesus and how to listen to theirs. He lists seven points to follow I'll read quickly. One, live your life going out of your way to show grace and dignity toward all other people. Two, be alert for opportunities to go deeper with them. Three, listen really well. Four, share your story but leave room for conversation. Five, stop telling your story when it leads to other people telling theirs. Six, Really enter into their story as you listen. Seven, share truth, but don't be concerned if you can't get into the whole thing in one conversation. It's normal for us to feel inadequate to the task of presenting the story of Jesus and to worry about people asking us questions we aren't ready for. But when you share your own story, you can expect less of that. James Bryan Smith writes, most people don't really want to hear a lengthy explanation about the authority of the Bible or why other faiths are wrong. They just want to know what happened to you, how you got caught up in a new story and a new set of lifestyle practices. When I was in 10th grade, I noticed a group of teens at my school who were very friendly, very joyful, very caring. They were really different from most of the other students. So different that I asked when I had gotten to know in my math class, why are you and your friends so happy all the time? She said, we're followers of Jesus and he fills us with joy. I'll never forget that. I asked how to learn more about him and she suggested I read a gospel in my Bible at home. 
That's all it took. I did read Matthew that weekend from beginning to end and embraced Jesus and his resurrection, and so began a new life. She didn't have to answer any specific questions at that point. She just gave me a reason for the hope that's in her. If you do need additional materials to help people answer challenging questions, there are many resources, starting with our own pastors. They would love to hear these questions from you. I just read an excellent book on apologetics, the defense of Christian beliefs, by Joshua Chatra. The title is Telling a Better Story, How to Talk About God in a Skeptical Age. It was the number one nonfiction book recommended this year by Christianity Today. Chatra writes about learning what grand narrative your friend is shaping his or her life around and then helping them compare it to the Christian story. He emphasizes, though, respect and gentleness, exemplary living, and prayer, just like Peter. An example would be a friend who values the fight for human rights, or the goodness of human diversity, or the importance of serving societies oppressed and marginalized. Now, all these things have come into Western culture primarily because of Christianity, but your friend values them without knowing that. Asking why these things are so important to your friend will help you know what your meta what their meta narrative is. And it's a chance to share that you value these things because of what Jesus and scripture teach. We're living in an increasingly post-Christian era. People are not coming to church anymore to look for God, but they will look at our lives and listen to our stories if we are winsome, caring, gentle, and patient with them. Think now about who might be someone in your life you can share this life-giving news with. Start praying for someone today and for opportunities to find out more about their faith and opportunities to share about yours. Most of all, get to know Jesus better and better. My friend in high school didn't tell me any theology or spiritual laws or requirements. She just directed me to meet Jesus in the Gospels. You see, our job is to invite the people God has placed in our lives to come and see Jesus. Jesus will do the rest. He's given us new lives, and if we're living in him, our lives will communicate that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.15, We are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. James Bryan Smith writes, when we tell the truth when it's hard, when we sit in the waiting room with a hurt and scared friend, even though we have pressing things to do, if we strive to stay in harmony with people who disagree with us, when we find a way to spend less so we can give more money away, when we offer a blessing to someone who curses at us or is unkind to us, the essence of Jesus who lives in and through us emerges. Smith tells of a night he ate eight garlic cloves, thinking they were tiny potatoes. When he got home from the dinner that night and climbed into bed, his wife shot up and said, what did you eat? Some roast beef and little buttery potatoes. No, you ate garlic. Jim Smith slept on the couch that night, and the next morning he brushed his teeth twice rinsed with mouthwash, and chewed gum. During church, his wife leaned over and said, you still smell like garlic. 
He writes, the problem was it was in my system, in my blood and my lungs and coming out of my pores. I think of that story when I think about being the aroma of Christ. When we know and live and breathe the truth that people are indwelt by Christ, the reality of Jesus is in our lungs and on our lips and in our pores. We can't help it. And fortunately, unlike garlic, when people catch the scent of Jesus on us through our actions, they don't ask us to move away. They usually want to know the reason for our hope. May this be so for each of us this week. Review the grand story of Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and return, and review what God has been doing in your own life. Then extend yourself to others by living out the love of Christ and share your joy and hope with our broken world through your words and your deeds. Pray daily for those people God has in your life, for opportunities to give the reason for your hope. Amen. May this indeed be so.